If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. I wanted to carry on. I was asked to preach uh, this Sunday, and I wanted to carry on the theme of outrageous grace, but then I was also asked to set up a little bit of what this first DCLI class starting next week about the church will be. So having to put these two things together, grace and the church, and uh, there's a passage here that I just want to read, and I think it would be helpful for us to look at Paul as an example and some of the things that Paul has in mind for us. So I'm going to read a bit of a lengthy passage, but if you'll stay with me, we're going to work our way through it. So we're going to start Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Ephesians 3, verse 1. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Now just note that, stewardship of God's grace. Some translations may say dispensation. Stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Notice that. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plain mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Let's pray. Lord, in the next few moments, I ask you to pour out your grace through me. Lord, we are bombarded with the opinions of men, but I pray you would protect this moment from that. May we receive a word from you this morning. Lord, I just take a moment and I pray for our, all those in our destiny kids. I pray for our children here that you would give them a heart to know you, to walk in your ways. God, grant them eyes to see and ears to hear. May they behold your beauty and walk in your ways all the days of their lives. And I pray for those leaders over there, that you'd give them an anointing and a grace, um, and that your grace would flow through them to our children. Father, I just pray for myself in here. I recognize that before me are your people, and I pray I would be found as steward uh, their ears and hearts well in this moment. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I thank you in advance for this. In Jesus' name, our only hope. Amen. I'd like to introduce you to three fictional characters. 
I made these characters up, and I made them up long before I've met any of you. So just to be clear. The first one I want to meet you, you to, or introduce you to is a man named Sid the Saint. Sid is a passionate a lover of Jesus. And his, his passion for Jesus shows up in his passion for God's presence. He loves all-night prayer meetings. He loves going to worship nights. He loves the presence of God. He loves the spiritual gifts. His motto is more faith, more power. Second person I want to introduce you to is a man named Bob the Believer. Bob also is passionate about Jesus, but his passion for Jesus shows up in his service to others. Bob is kind of a bottom liner. The bottom line is there's, things to, there's work to be done. Let's get to it. You can find Bob volunteering to mow the churchyard. You can find him volunteering in different aspects of the church, leading committees. You can find him serving. And then the third is Christy the Christian. If you watch close enough, you can see Christy's spine like tingle when somebody says Bible study. She has her lexicon and concordance and she, she loves to study the word. Now, all three of these people show up on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock because they're all members of the same church. Sid showed up because it's his hour of intercessory prayer. Bob showed up because it was his turn to mow the yard. And Christy's there because she wants to put her outline, uh, her, her uh, Bible study outline on the whiteboard for Sunday school the next day. And as Sid begins to pray, he can hear Bob start the lawnmower. And he thinks about Bob and he, he begins to pray. And his prayer goes something like this. God, that Bob, he just works and works and works. He just keeps serving and serving. I don't know if he even understands grace. God, would you just bless Bob? Would you, would you just make Bob more like me? As Bob is mowing, he comes around to the parking lot and he can see Sid's car. And he begins a prayer, but his prayer goes like this. Lord, you know, this whole mowing thing is on a rotation basis. It would be really great if Sid would help. Lord, sometimes I just think he is so heavenly minded, he should just go there. Lord, would you, would you make Sid more like me? As Christy has finished, in, finished her notes on the whiteboard, she goes to leave and she can see that Sid's in the prayer room and she can hear the lawnmower and she remembers both of their wives are in her Bible study and she says to herself, Lord, you know, I, I know their wives. I know that they don't have a home devotional. I know that Sid and Bob are not the most strongest spiritual leaders of their family. God, I just pray that you'd give them a hunger for your word. God, I just pray you would make Sid and Bob like me. We've been talking about grace. And I often find it's easier for Christians to give grace to those outside the church than it is to give grace to those in the church who are different than them. What Sid, Bob, and Christy don't realize is they need each other. And God has created this diversity as a gift. Now, the problem will lie in balance, but at the end of the day, the problem is never the diversity. I want to talk today about grace and in particularly how God wants it to work through us as individuals, but also there's something that happens corporately that only the church can do together that I want to 
focus on this morning. But before I do that, I think it's important that we do this, that we kind of define some terms. I find Christians can throw words around and they don't really know what they mean or they assume we all mean the same thing. So let's talk about grace for a moment. I know some theologians or some people try to get away with uh, two of the main Christian doctrine, two big words in the Christian faith, mercy and grace, and, and they have like this little bumper sticker kind of theology. Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Mercy is God withholding punishment from me, and grace is God's unmerited favor giving me what I don't deserve, things like blessing and salvation. The problem you see with that is, those are both definitions of mercy. You see, mercy is both God not giving you what you do deserve. Let's be honest, for all of us, that would be hell. Eternal separation from God. It's him withholding that from us, but you also see mercy when you give someone something that they don't deserve. That's why when somebody may beg or make a, a request of you, they'll ask you to have mercy on them and to give. Those are both definitions of mercy. So what does what grace then mean? Well, people say grace is unmerited favor if you look at the Bible, but that just describes how grace comes. It doesn't describe what grace is. That's like asking, somebody asks you what's for dinner and you say, well, it's free. What are we having for dinner? Oh, it's unmerited. What? I didn't ask if I could deserve it. I asked what it is. Everybody all right? What is grace? It is unmerited. You don't deserve it, but that, does it. that describes how it comes, not what it is. So let me help you. This is what grace is. Grace is God's empowering presence that enables you to do what God has called you to do and to be what God has called you to be. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He kind of sounds like Popeye, doesn't he? I am what I am. In other words, that God, it is more than just unmerited. It is God acting on my behalf, doing in me and for me what I cannot do myself. Now, some think grace is just for salvation. By the way, these note, your, uh, note, if you go to the app on the notes, I have an outline here. Many of this, much of this is in there. But uh, when you, um, I, I got lost when I said app. My mind went somewhere else. What was I talking about? <laughs> in conclusion, no, I'm just joking. You would all like that, but not just yet. Um, many people think grace is just for salvation, but after you're saved, then you're kind of on your own. But look, that's bondage. If I was to tell you, hey, I have a, I'm going to give you something of great value, and there's no way you could afford it, and there's no way that you can upkeep it, and there's no way that you can actually afford to use it. But I'm going to give it to you as a gift. Aren't I generous? But now that I give it to you, you have to be able to afford it, and you have to be able to upkeep it. That's bondage. If I couldn't deserve it beforehand, what makes you think I'm going to deserve it after? If I couldn't be good enough on this side of it, what makes you think I'm going to be good enough on this side of it? So what some think is like you have these mountains in your life. You have this addiction, this habit, this problem. And, and grace was for salvation, but you have to deal with the mountain yourself. And that's just not true. Some think, though, grace is just God's willingness to overlook your mountain. Hey, I'll pretend your mountain's not there. You pretend it's not there, and, and we'll get along just great. You know what that is? That's theater. I know you may not believe this, but I... I uh, I played college athletics, and one of the things that I actually took a course in theater. <laughs> I was a very motivated student. No, um, 
I, I took and you know what theater, the definition of theater, theater is? Mutually agreed upon suspended disbelief. If the audience for one moment decides that the guy on the stage that got shot really got shot, everyone's screaming and leaving. You have to suspend reality and pretend to disbelieve. At any moment, the actors think this is not really happening and we're going to pretend it. We're going to uh, act like it, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. Then all of a sudden, you lose disinterest. You have to be mutually agreed upon suspended disbelief. And oftentimes, that's what our relationship with God is like and our relationship with each other. I'll pretend you don't see my stuff. You, pre- you just pretend you don't see mine. We'll get along great. Grace is not... God leaving you, not for salvation and just leaving you on your own to face the mountain, nor is grace God wanting to camouflage your mountain or pretend it's not there. Grace is when God brings you to the mountain and says, now you stand here and watch what I'll do for you. It is God's action on our behalf to do what we cannot do on our own. Now, with all of that in mind, I want to look at this passage and, and particularly the Apostle Paul as a case study for us this morning. In verses 1 and 2, particularly 2, you see this word. Paul says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So the first thing I want you to see is God intends to give you grace. Just the way he gave the Apostle Paul. And God intends for you to receive grace. Listen, to not receive the grace that God gives you is to dishonor the giver. When you say, God, I'm not worthy of it. Of course you're not worthy of it. He knows that. That's why it's grace. That's why he's doing it on your behalf. He wants to give you grace, and we are to receive this empowering presence that enables us to do what we cannot do on our own and to be what we could not be on our own. He wants us to receive it. But not only that, we are also called to to not only receive grace. And let me just say this. Saints, the greatest of saints in the world are not those who need less grace. They are those who learn to consume the most grace. I used to think the goal of my Christian life was to get good enough I didn't need a lot of God's help. (laughs) You know what that's called? Self-righteousness. And it's arrogance and pride. I also kind of thought, hey, yeah, Jesus died and he redeemed me and he bought me, but hey, he got a good deal. Yeah, it hurts when you laugh at me. I'm just joking. But look, at the end of the day, our goal is not to become the kind of person that needs grace less. Our goal is to become the kinds of person who live by grace moment by moment. That grace becomes like breathing to us. So, not only, though, does God want you to receive grace, This phrase, stewardship of God's grace, given to me for you. Not only does God want you to be a container of grace, a recipient of God's grace, but he also wants you to be a dispenser of God's grace. This stewardship, uh, some translations will say dispensation. That's a big word of just saying there's a certain time in which God was dispensing something. Right? In other words, God wants you not only to receive God's grace and contain God's grace, he actually wants you, like the Apostle Paul, but in a different way, to disperse God's grace, to dispense God's grace through you. God wants to dispense his empowering presence through you to other people. Now, we can, we're going to use Paul as a case study on how we might identify how God wants to do some of that. But it's important to realize nobody will have the call that the Apostle Paul has. 
He's the only one that's had this grace given to him to go to the Gentiles for the first time. That's his grace that God gave him, and that's the way God wanted to dispense grace in him. But you have a place uniquely where God wants you not only to receive his grace, contain his grace, but he also wants you to dispense his grace to the world and to others in the church. So, we talk oftentimes about spiritual gifts, but you realize the word spiritual gift in Greek is charismata. Charis, the word for grace. Charismata meaning gift. It just simply means grace gift. It is both a gift of grace, but it's also a gift in which you give grace to other people. So we're going to look at how might we discern God's call by looking at Paul. So here we go. Are you ready? All right, and we see there in verse 2, assuming that you've heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The first thing, that, or in your notes, or number two, discerning how God's grace flows through you or discerning God's call. The first thing is to recognize that God, this is God-given God's way in which he wants you to dispense his grace will always be his choice. There's no sign-up sheet for spiritual gifts. You don't get to sign up for different ways you want to be used by God. You can ask and you can make requests, you can pursue, but at the end of the day, he gives as he chooses. And the Apostle Paul acknowledges that God gave this grace to me but for you. Imagine the boldness of that. God's given me a grace, but it's for you. And God wants to give you a grace, and he wants to move that grace through you. But it's God's given. He chooses it. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, we all have these manifestations. Uh, each one has a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 11, the Holy Spirit gives as he determines. God gets to choose this grace. Number two, that obviously this is by grace. In other words, it is unmerited. You don't deserve it. There's no ladder to climb. It, there's not like this is a, 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 you know, a, a business deal in which you get a little bit better. If I just steward uh, and do this a little bit more, maybe I can finally work my way up to be a prophet. Or maybe, I can, maybe there's a, a seminar I can attend to be an apostle. Or maybe if I'm good enough, I'll, I'll climb the ranks. There's no ladder here. That this is God-given, and God wants to work through you to dispense his grace to others. The third thing you need to know is that not only is it God-given, uh, but it's also you need to know because it's God-given, if you try to compare the way God's grace has come to you and moves through you to others, it will breed discontentment with God. If you compare how God wants to move through you with other people, it will breed discontentment in you. Listen. The point is not how spectacular God's grace moves through you. The point is... God's grace moves through you. That's the point. The point, the substance is not what I do. The substance is God's grace itself. That God not only would give me grace, but God would work grace through me to others. The valuable property here is the grace itself, not how it takes place, whether it's spectacular or not. But that we all have God's grace or called to have God's grace move through us. So the first thing about discerning how God's grace may want to move through you, it's, it's chosen by God. You need to know that comparison will kill. The second thing you need to know is that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit will confirm it. You see in verse 5, he says, Which was made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has been uh, now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. The Spirit has confirmed Paul's grace. There's all kinds of ways the Holy Spirit may do this. The Holy Spirit may confirm it by giving you a revelation. I remember almost 10 years ago, no, uh, longer than that now, Lord, I'm old. 
you know, 13 years ago, I remember having an encounter at a piano where God did this work in me. I ended up in the fetal position just weeping as this love came over me and this recognition that I was the son of God. And I began to teach on this idea of the son of God. I gave myself to fasting and prayer, asking the Lord to teach me whatever it meant that he was my father. I wanted to know that. And I began to teach it. And it wasn't long after that, I began to hear all of these other people teaching on it. Now, I'm not saying they all got it from me. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying God confirmed the revelation he'd given me by hearing other voices in the church begin to speak about it. Sometimes God will confirm it that way. Sometimes God confirms it through others. Paul and Barnabas are at a prayer meeting in Acts 13, and the Holy Spirit says, I don't know how he says, but I imagine he said it through someone else. It would be kind of awkward if the Apostle Paul said this. But the Holy Spirit said to someone there, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. It would have been a little awkward if, if Paul would have raised his hands and said, hey guys, I got a word from God. God says, set me aside for the work of ministry. Somebody else got the word, but it was confirmed through others. Whatever, however God wants you to receive grace and give it, he, will not, he may give it by revelation and confirm it by hearing other places. He may give it, he may confirm it in you through other people. This is why it's important to be around Christians and be in ministry with other people shoulder to shoulder who can watch and work with you. That's often the way God would confirm it. But another way he confirms it, you see in verse 7, he says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which is given to me by the working of his power. The old King James says, by the effective working of his power. In other words, what begins to happen when God begins to use you to uh, make grace flow through you is something begins to take place. Results begin to happen that are out of proportion to your effort and talent. All of a sudden, there was, there's something that happens here that I, I didn't cause. I used to use the analogy of if I go stand against that wall back there and I push on it all day as hard as I can, the question is this, did I work? And the answer would be I exerted energy, but I had no result. Now, the opposite takes place with grace. When God's grace moves through you, there's all kinds of results, but you find that you're not putting near the effort in. It's something God is doing on our behalf as he works through us. It's effective, though. It accomplishes God's purposes. And notice what he says. This effective working of the power of which I am the least, in verse 8, right, of all the saints, this grace was given to me. To what? You would think Paul would say, this grace was given to me to be an apostle. Or this grace was given to me to plant churches, which he did. The grace was given to me to start missionary movements. That's not what he said. The grace was given to me to work miracles, to open the eyes of the blind, to discern when uh, sorcerers had demons. He, he doesn't say all of that. What was the grace given him to do? The ordinary task of preaching. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, Paul does an ordinary thing like talking like communicating, but God puts his grace on it, and something marvelous happens. God takes his extra and puts it on your ordinary, and it becomes extraordinary, right? Or as one guy said, he puts, your super, he puts his super on your natural. But all of a sudden, something begins to take place where the results, the effects, are far more than you could ever have done on your own. And you begin to realize that. Now, it may not be preaching, but listen, this is one of the things Christians get uh, bogged down in all the time, and I just want to help you. If, you will if we will spend less effort, less um, attention, trying to be and do something in the Spirit or with one another that's spectacular, and just focus on faithfully stewarding the grace that's been given to us, you'll find far greater results than seeking the spectacular. You may not be called to preach. 
But listen, I know people. I know a lady, I can take you to her house, who has such a gift of hospitality. She has seen healings, deliverances, people saved, all of it because she continued to practice that grace of hospitality. And not only did she make space for others, but she began to realize she was making space for Jesus to come and to meet people. Peter's mother-in-law made space in her house for people to come, and Jesus healed many. Oftentimes, we miss out what God wants to do in our life because it doesn't seem to be spectacular enough. But all of the results that Paul had, all the things he's famous for, the church planting, the miracles, all of that, he never says that was his call. His call was to preach, to stand up and speak the unsearchable riches of Christ. All of that, all those amazing things happened as an effect of God's grace moving through him as he did the ordinary task of speaking. I know a missionary who went to South America. He was going to win um, these tribal people for Jesus. He gets in there and he gets arrested by a group of gorillas. Not the animals, the rebels. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> it's weird seeing a guy with a bunch of, you know, like Planet of the Apes. Anyway, come back, A.T. Um, he gets arrested by this uh, militia, this uh, gorilla group, and they're going to kill him. And this is literally what he says. He says, okay, you can kill me, that's fine. But I've just noticed, as you've kept me prisoner for about a week, that none of you know to read, know how to read. Just let me teach you how to read, then you can kill me. And they said, okay, but we don't have any books. He said, oh, I got one. He takes out his Bible. He spent six months, uh, actually, oh, I mean, it was, they were there for two years, but at the six-month mark, he began, the relationship began to change. He taught them to read. And in two years, when that uh, little rebellious guerrilla group went to um, settle for peace with the government that they were in, the only person they trusted to negotiate peace on their behalf was this missionary. Grace of God moving through something as ordinary as, hey, don't kill me, let me just teach you to read. Like with WizKids or other places where we just sit down and help people read, and all of a sudden the grace of God moves through it. Listen, it's like the little boy with, two, with uh, two fish and five loaves. God doesn't ask you for what you don't have. He asks for what's in your hands. But this is the, one of the ways that we begin to recognize that the Spirit confirms it, and he confirms it through this effective use. But uh, it can be ordinary things that we do. But one of the things that you'll see as the Spirit confirms it, as God begins to work through you and, and something happens that is beyond what you could do by your own effort, it begins to produce humility. And that's what you see in verse 8, right? This grace was given to me. Uh, I'm the very least of all the saints. Paul begins to recognize all of these amazing things that people are giving credit for. He still says, I'm the least of all of you. Because he knows at the end of the day, Paul was not the reason He's not the one who did all of these things. He preached. God's grace flowed through him. And God did something on his behalf that he could not do on his own. And it breeds humility as we begin to realize we are operating in something that's far bigger and grander than us. So, God wants you to receive grace and he wants you to give grace. And we can help discern God, how God wants to do that by realizing, first of all, God chooses. By second, the Spirit will confirm. We can begin to look in our life where there's effective results. Some people may be praying. For some people, it may be hospitality, maybe teaching. But we just make space to allow God to work through us. The third thing we see about this grace given to us and when it's poured out, it will accomplish God's purposes. 
Again, notice in verse 8, to me, the, uh, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then notice what begins to happen. And it brings to light for everyone what is the plan and mystery hidden in ages in God uh, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to, and here's the phrase, the eternal purposes that he had real, has realized in Christ Jesus. In other words, when God, when you receive God's grace and dispense God's grace, it accomplishes God's purposes in the earth. It glorifies Christ. It draws people to Jesus and not to you. They see your good works, but they glorify God because they know these works are way bigger than you. Right? I mean, that's essentially what Jesus said to Peter. When Peter said, you're the Christ and the son of the living God, and Jesus, Jesus basically responded, uh, boy, that came from God because you're not that smart. I mean, that was more in Atoka language, but you get it. In other words, something else is happening, but it accomplishes God's purposes. Not only that, it pushes back darkness. It brings to light things that were hidden. When grace moves through us, darkness, principalities, and powers are pushed back by simple preaching or by simply making room in hospitality, by simply teaching people to read. Darkness gets pushed back. Do you know that if somebody, um, you know, you tend to learn to read uh, in the, by the fifth grade, then after the fifth grade, you read to learn. So if you get behind somewhere around there, it can, it can fall bad. Do you know you can, there's a direct connection between the percentage of people in prison and the percentage of kids who are illiterate? Do you realize that teaching somebody to read can push back darkness? Do you realize that simply creating space for people to be in our homes and to love them can, can push back the evil one? Listen, we as the church, we don't deal with trivial things. We don't deal with things like like material things, like, like fads and, and what's cool or what's hip. We deal with eternal things, like people's souls. The Bible says there's two things that last forever, the souls of men and the word of God. Invest in both. When, I, when you raise a child, you, think about it, parents. We have one of the most amazing responsibilities. We are trusted to care for another soul. That's not terrifying to anybody else. Like, I'm still working on mine. <laughs> but th this is a great, listen, when we, when we love sacrificially, when we invest in the people around us, when we don't use people as means to another end, but pay attention to what God might be doing in a person's life, when we make ourselves available for the grace of God to move through us to others, we are investing in eternity because others are eternal. These accomplishes God's purpose. But you see, if we're going to continue to do that in verse 12, it's going to require boldness. It's going to require boldness. John Wimber used to say, you spell faith, R-I-S-K, risk. It's going to require, if you're going to be a dispenser of God's grace, it's going to require boldness. But the good news is, as Paul tells us here in verse 12, we have access through confidence, through faith, to Christ. When you have access to Christ, our boldness does not come from our ego. It doesn't come from our vibrato. It doesn't come from how uh, prepared we feel, how gifted. Our, our, our boldness doesn't come from our previous history and experience. Our boldness comes from the fact I have access to him who's conquered heaven and hell. He sits on the throne of all creation. So what can man do to me? Yes. Our boldness comes from our access and confidence in Christ going to require that. 
It's also going to require supernatural perseverance, as Paul says in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering. You would just think if God gave this amazing man this amazing grace to do these amazing things, surely he would not have to suffer. <laughs> no. Listen, Jesus said this. Basically, hey, to his disciples, you follow me. In this world, you're going to have many troubles. But be of good cheer. Not because I've overcome your troubles. I've overcome the whole world in which you and everyone else's troubles exist. I've overcome these things. Well, I'd like to just speak briefly to the point now that Paul brings up about the church. We can recognize God wants to pour out grace and God wants to move grace through us. But that's because as we do this with one another, we function as the church. Listen, I just think it's very important in this season as we rethink what church might look like, we must consider the fact, what is it only the church can do as a whole? Not what is it you can do as a Christian, as a part of the church. What is it only we can do together? And Paul says here, that one of the things that we do, as God dispenses his grace, as uh, we receive this good news, that God begins to now make known his manifold wisdom through the church to principalities and powers. Now look, this verse is loaded, and honestly, I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to know more, to DCLI next week at 5.30, because this is where we're going to dive in talking about the church and talking about how but one of the first places Paul says the church is to bear witness is not to a lost world, but to principalities and powers. And not only that, we bear witness of God's wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Now I'm going to do something that I honestly, I feel nervous doing. I'm going to say in a snippet statement what may take hours to unfold in the scripture. And you're just going to have to trust me and attend a DCLI class next week at 530. <laughs> Uh, this is just all one big recruitment sermon. This is all this is. I'm just joking. But look, the reason why God's manifold wisdom is made known to principalities and powers, because principalities and powers questions God's wisdom in choosing humans to be his heirs instead of angels. Now, there's a whole bunch of text here from Ezekiel to Isaiah to Revelation that we have to all unpack to get there, but this is what you need to know. God could have snapped his fingers and got rid of Satan in Gen before Genesis 3. And he could have snapped his fingers and got rid of Jesus, Satan, not Jesus, got rid of Satan after Genesis 3. But look, getting rid of Satan only proves that God was more powerful. It doesn't prove that he was right or wise. When someone questions your wisdom, being more powerful does little. It was God's wisdom that was questioned not his power. Simply strong-arming everyone doesn't prove the thing that was questioned. God has to now show his flawless choice and his wisdom through. And who becomes the place in which God's wisdom is shown? It is this collective of individuals who have been made and born again by God's Spirit through the saving work of Jesus Christ and brought together as a whole called the church. A new people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people who now have an identity that's greater than their ethnicity. An identity that's greater than their social class. 
an identity that's greater than their sexuality, an identity that goes beyond their nationality. They are made one because their deepest identification has been now to be a part, be made one with Jesus and are children of the living God. And it's in these children that God intends to make his wisdom known. So look, you're not doing anybody any favors playing small here. We need you. We need each person to receive God's grace and give God's grace if we're going to be a church that bears witness to principalities and powers of the flawless and wise choice of God. That means, do you see, your whole life, the little ordinary things you probably get frustrated with have been caught up in a bigger plan. You don't wanna do the dishes and you're grumpy about doing the dishes. Anybody else? I remember that. I remember when, you know, uh, I remember when my wife would tell me, if you, you know, show me you love me by serving, doing the dishes. So I'd do the dishes and be like, how awesome am I now? And nothing. I was like, wait a minute, I thought you wanted me to do the dishes. Look, I did the da-da. Nothing. And there came a point where I had to be, okay, I get it, Jesus. I have to serve my wife because I love her, not because I want praise and affirmation. But now there became a place where as I would do dishes, I would say, look, Lord, I'm going to prefer to serve my family over what I would personally want to do. And in so doing, I am, rep, I am displaying the love that was displayed in Jesus, who preferred our life over his own. And all of a sudden, the simple task of dishwashing was now caught up into a, better, a bigger story of how God is puts on display the fact that here are these human beings who are beginning to bear witness to God's image and his likeness. Just doing the dishes becomes an eternal task when we realize what's happening here. Raising our children becomes an eternal task. Marriage, relationship, children, work, all of it gets caught up into this plan when we begin to realize what's happening here. Well, I need to begin to land the plane, so again, I will take you back to, if you'd like more, there'll be a class on next Sunday at 5.30. There's sign-up sheets out there. You can just grab, fill it out, stick it in the giving station. By the way, we also will allow, um, we'll have people have the availability to attend online through Zoom, but you have to register because it's not be open to the public, so you have to register for it and we'll send you a link and you can attend online if you'd like. But this is why it is important that the church stay in unity. And I wanna end with this. Listen, the unity of the church is not something we produce. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that we should maintain or keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Everybody pay attention to me, look why here. Unity is a gift of the Spirit. Our job is not to produce unity. Our job is to maintain it. Main, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And it's very important, as we started with Sid and Bob and Christy, that we begin to realize our unity is about much more than just getting along and making sure things go a little smoother. Our unity is about much more than whether or not it's helpful for church growth. Our unity is displaying something to principalities and powers. And that is the very thing, the sin that separated mankind and brought death is being put to death in a group of people who are learning to live together as one under God as their father in the love that's offered to them by the spirit of God. Now, this is why each saint contributing the grace that's on their life is important. We need the grace that God wants to extend to us through you. But let me just, one thing, and then I'll end with a story. You're gonna be all, so glad you came this morning. 
I'm being sarcastic. When it comes to God giving us grace and dispensing grace, I just need to say this. God does not have to treat you fairly. God treats you individually and unique. Years ago, uh, I went on a vacation with my family and uh, I was having a really hard time in ministry. And uh, so I did what I do when I'm having a hard time. Me and my dad go outside and we throw the football. Then we have a conversation. And we threw the football, and we're there on the beach, having a great time, throwing the football, talking. It took about 45 minutes. Well, on that same trip, my little sister, boyfriend, longtime boyfriend came and asked my dad for her hand in marriage. So my dad took uh, my little sister, Rebecca, and they went on a, about an hour and a half walk on the beach to discuss some life situations. My dad didn't come back to me and say, son, I owe you 45 minutes. I only spent 45 minutes with you and I spent an hour and a half with your sister, but I want to be fair. No, he didn't have to treat us fairly. Why? Because he treated us individually and uniquely according to what we were needing and going through. And obviously I was just less needy than my sister. Obviously. <laughs> I'll have to send her the link to this sermon. She's going to love that. But that's my point. When it comes to get, receiving grace and giving it, we start comparing and we wonder why God's not treating us the way he might be treating other people. Let it all go. That's going to kill you. It's going to rob the very fact that the God of all creation not only has been gracious to you, but now has decided to work his grace through you to others. Let that be itself the prize and the reward. I know God. And God has worked through me. God acts on my behalf when I don't deserve it. Let that be the reward. Not how spectacular it happens. Not whether or not you get praise and adoration for it. Not whether it's ever written down. We're talking about the God of all the earth moving through you to do what he can only do himself in and through you. Well, my conclusion is this. God intends to make known his wisdom to principalities and powers through the church. And he gives grace to each one, each saint, for their salvation, their restoration, for their healing, for sanctification. But he also intends to move that grace through you to the church and then to the world. Therefore, we need one another if we're going to accomplish what only the church can do together. And that's bear witness to the wisdom of God, to principalities and powers. It's like puzzle pieces. Each puzzle piece has a, has a piece missing, another piece has a piece that fits. Your insecurity, your inadequacies, your incompetencies are all places that God has carved out in order to take another member of the body of Christ and fit together so that when it's finished, the picture will not be how awesome you are. The picture will be glorifying and honoring to Jesus Christ, a lamb who was slain and made all of this possible. Would you stand with me? your GP2RL, your God's presence to real life, is to simply take the time this week to intentionally make space to receive God's grace and then be intentional at giving it away. We're gonna have a moment now where I'm gonna ask our prayer team. Our prayer team will be in the back in the lobby where there's ways to social distance to pray for you if that's a concern for you. They're gonna be back there prepared to pray for you. And this is what I would just like to say. Maybe you're here and you've been Sid, Bob, or Christy, and you've been judgmental of other Christians. Maybe other people in the room. Maybe you need to repent. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance just makes space in your soul for God. 
Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you're here and you think God could never use me. Maybe you need to repent of pride then because it never was about you anyway. It never was about your limits. It never was about your problems. It was about God. But maybe none of that's true. Maybe you're just here, and this is what I just like to say. Whether you have a personal need, a physical need, financial need, or maybe you have an emotional need, we would love to pray with you because at the end of the day, we're gonna make space for God's grace to move through somebody on our prayer team to you so you can see in action the receiving and dispensing of God's grace. Amen? Amen. So I'd like to just take a moment now, if we would, and just respond as a body by just worshiping this God who not only has been so gracious to save us and redeem us, but he's been gracious now to move through us. Amen.